Hi, and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with James White. He's from a ministry called Alpha and Omega Ministries, an evangelical reformed Christian apologetics organisation in Phoenix, Arizona. He's the author of more than 20 books and has engaged in numerous moderated debates. Uh, Welcome to History Makers, James. How are you? Well, it's good to be with you. Are you enjoying Australia? I am. Uh, Brisbane's a beautiful place. Wonderful. Good to hear. And I understand you you went on a big bike ride this morning. Uh, Are you enjoying our roads? Well, I'll have to admit, we were coming back during rush hour. That was, um, um, let's just say we gave my guardian angel a workout uh, <laughs> a few times on that one. But we got to go down to the bay, and I've, I've run along the river and stuff. It's just, uh, it's beautiful. So tell us a bit about your story. Uh, were you raised in a religious upbringing? Yeah, as far back as we know on my father's side, we've been ministers all the way back to Scotland. Uh, I'm of Scottish heritage, and... Uh, a lot of my earliest memories are of, of church and my father preaching and my mom playing the organ and the piano and, uh, uh, you know, my first Bible. And uh, I, I remember uh, the day of my conversion very clearly. Um, it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing to have that kind of a family background. Uh, a lot of folks find that sort of boring, but um, I certainly don't find it boring to have experienced God's grace at an early time in my life. So when I went through school, um, I have recollections, for example, of being sent to the principal's office by my fourth grade teacher because I was passing out gospel tracts on the playground. And so I walked into the office and I, I was an excellent student. Um, I was the person that never got into trouble, didn't get spankings. Um, you know, I was class valedictorian in my junior high school and my high school and didn't get a B in high school and all that kind of stuff. But so to be sent to the principal was pretty unusual, so I walked into his office and walked up to his desk and handed him a track, too. And so uh, in, in high school, they called me Billy Graham White uh, because I carried a Bible on top of my books and was open about my faith. And uh, so it was sort of a preparation, I guess, uh, for the work that I've uh, been doing, uh, which, to be honest with you, even going into uh, uh, Bible college, uh, it was a Christian college, and I was actually pre-med. I was going to maybe look at medical missions or something like that. I honestly had never heard of apologetics. I, I knew about people like Josh McDowell and things like that, but it was... Uh, it was I, I got married very young. Uh, I was 19. My wife was 18. We've been married for 34 years. And uh, uh, right very shortly after we were married, uh, two more missionaries came by my sister-in-law's home. My wife's an identical twin. And uh, she asked me over to talk to these two young men, Elders Reed and Reese. They have no idea what they started, I'm sure. But um, uh, we met for about three hours on a Monday and on a Thursday. I read a couple books on Mormonism in between, and that's really what started it. Um, I, I began studying. I, I, I came to the very clear realization that 
A, even though I've been raised in a pastor's home and um, had memorized many Bible verses and things like that, I had never been challenged on that level before. And I also realized that there was a language gap. There was a barrier between me and the Mormon missionaries. I could tell we were using the same words, but we meant different things. And so uh, the study began, and I didn't have anyone to guide me. I really didn't know what I was doing, but uh, somewhere uh, in that time period, I became absolutely convinced that if you're a Christian, then you need to accurately represent even the people you disagree with. Uh, It's just a matter of following he who is the truth. You have to be truthful in what you do. And so I I figured, you know, uh, the best way to find out what Mormons believe is to read Mormon literature and make sure that the Christian books I was reading about Mormonism were actually accurate. And sadly, I discovered a number of them were not. And um, that was one of the early experiences that I had that sort of shaped uh, my future ministry. At, at first, I was just going to be dealing with Mormonism. Alpha Omega Ministries started very shortly after that, 1983. And, um, but very quickly, people began asking questions about other issues. And we started expanding uh, the work a little bit. Um, I've been very thankful that we have not ever attempted to be all things to all people or try to answer all questions, because no one can do that. Uh, you can't be an expert on, on every single group that's out there. It's just simply impossible. But um, since I was in Bible college, I immediately recognized, you know, it would be really good to be able to read the original languages of the Bible uh, to answer a lot of the objections that are being made uh, by these groups uh, that I'm dealing with. And so I was able to sort of both in uh, Bible college and seminary, emphasize the areas of study that would be most uh, most helpful to me in, in the long run. And so we started very small. We're still very small. The ministry is a very small ministry, uh, but we have really a, a worldwide uh, outreach because we've been doing this for so long. And I've had the opportunity now of uh, engaging in debates in mosques in South Africa, in London. Uh, seven days after the attack on the Benghazi consulate, I was debating in the East London Mosque, which is the largest mosque in Europe, on whether Muhammad is prophesied in the Bible. And uh, never expected those kinds of opportunities to, to come up, but when there's a, an open door, um, then we try to we try to take those opportunities. Well, it's wonderful to hear that you've been used uh, in debates on topics like Islam, Mormonism, the Jehovah's Witnesses, atheism, you know, and talking about the differences between their beliefs and Christianity. A lot of people find the debate angle to be a little bit unusual uh, in these days where offense is the worst thing you can possibly do to anybody. Uh, that's the, the new horrible... Uh, sin of society is if you offend anybody, and so we can't debate. Uh, in reality, debate is is one of the best ways uh, for truth to be illustrated. Even Proverbs chapter 18 says the first one to present his case sounds correct until his neighbor comes along and cross-examines him or asks him questions. And how can that happen except in a meaningful, controlled debate environment? And I, I never took any classes on debate. They weren't really offered in the schools that I went to. But it just so happens that um, it's sort of what I'm built to do. I have the ability of listening to an argument, sort of multitasking, and and uh, especially in the cross-examination time, um, that's really where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. Uh, the, the truth really comes out is, is when you can question someone and uh, probe their position for inconsistencies. And uh, so... 
that started uh, August of 1990. I had my first debate in Long Beach on the subject of sola scriptura, the sufficiency of the scriptures as a sole infallible rule of faith of the Church, with a fellow by the name of Jerry Maddox, and uh, that was about 154 debates ago. And uh, we've done uh, an incredibly wide range and an incredibly wide range of locations, um, including folks like uh, Bart Ehrman, who's probably the leading English-speaking critic of New Testament Christianity in the world today, um, John Dominic Crossan, uh, co-founder of the Jesus Seminar, um, Anglican Bishop John Shelby Spong, um, which was quite the interesting <laughs> encounter. Uh, definitely Bishop Spong was not really into debate very much. But, uh, and now today, of course, with YouTube and things like that, while we still have this freedom anyways, uh, so many of those debates are available for free to be watched by a much larger audience than uh, could have ever been reached only a few generations ago. So it's, uh, especially the material on Islam as well, is able to go into areas that I could not go personally, uh, but the Internet does. And uh, so it's, uh, it's a wonderful open door right now. I'm not sure how long that door is going to be open, but while we have it, we need to walk through it and use it. Let's talk about personal evangelism for a moment. What's your advice to Christians on how we can defend our faith to someone who has a different belief. I love what you said before, that you need to first accurately understand what other people believe. But what's, what's a good way that, what's some good tips you'd give us about how to win people over with the gospel? Well, a couple things, especially when you're talking about someone who has a pre-existing faith. Um, I, I warn folks, uh, I've, I've said many times, we used to go up to the General Conference, the Mormon Church in Salt Lake City, every, they have it every six months, the first weekend in April, first weekend in October, and we would go up and we'd stand outside the, the temple gates and uh, pass out tracts and witness to people. And uh, I often said in training people for that, I would rather have five people with me uh, in, in Salt Lake City who know their faith and can give a clear, positive witness to the gospel uh, than 50 people who can rip and shred Joseph Smith but have nothing positive to give in the place of the error that is Mormonism. Mm. And so a lot of folks, when they are dealing with someone who has a pre-existing faith system, get all focused upon um, knowing all the ins and outs of the Mormon temple ceremony or the false prophecies of Joseph Smith or issues regarding Jehovah's Witnesses or issues regarding Muhammad and the Quran. And there's there's everything good in having an accurate knowledge of those things, but if it is not joined first and foremost with a, a truly deep understanding of biblical theology and the gospel itself, um, then I, I think a lot of times people can tell that you're, you're sort of just out to have an argument rather than that you have a real reason for uh, attempting to uh, really speak with them and and especially in dealing with Mormonism, to, I'm sorry, with uh, Islam today, I also emphasize the reality that if a person is afraid of Islam or afraid of Muslims uh, or doesn't recognize that there are many Muslims, the vast majority of Muslims do not have uh, the desire to kill me or destroy me or anything else, if you don't realize that, if you're fearful all the time, that's going to communicate itself, and it's, it's probably going to keep you from actually uh, engaging in uh, opening your heart and truly uh, engaging a person regards to 
the fact that they say they love Jesus, but they don't really have the true Jesus or a, a Jesus that's really even knowable from the Islamic perspective. Um, so there's, there's certain things to keep in mind that, uh, that, that assist, I think, in getting over some of the original hurdles when you're talking with someone. But obviously, the main thing is you've got to talk with them, and this is the hard part these days. So many of our encounters are so short and so brief that you almost have no meaningful conversation. But it's always helpful to be able to talk with someone long enough to come to an understanding of just where they are, what, uh, what is their experience, uh, what, what, what is their understanding of their own faith. Uh, if you bring assumptions as to what they believe and those assumptions end up being false, well, that very frequently short-circuits the, uh, the entire communication process to begin with. So a hearing ear is, is important, uh, and then simply expressing to them in a proper fashion uh, the care that you have for them as an individual, and then the clarity of the gospel presentation you present. It's, it's going to be up to us to overcome the language barrier. And there's always a language barrier, especially when there is a pre-existing uh, faith system, especially if it is a uh, variant of Christianity in some way, uh, even even in in dealing with Islam, because the you know Islam comes after Christianity. The Quran mentions the people, of the book, the people, of the gospel. It tries to interact at least a little bit with with Christian beliefs and things like that. Um, so we have to realize they're going to hear certain words that we use. We speak Christianese, and they're going to hear certain words we use in a way that we're not actually wanting to communicate in that fashion. And so we have to be very careful in choosing our words. We're the ones that have to build the bridges. Uh, you can't expect the Mormon missionary to be building bridges to you to actually clearly communicate with you. That's really not what their intention is. That's something that we have to do. So that's also an element, is sort of to function as a translator and make sure that what you're communicating is what they're going to be hearing. And that can be very frustrating. Can be very, most Christians, and they and they've had the opportunity of witnessing to, like, the more missionaries that come by. Uh, they'll report afterwards, well, you know, we, I, I thought I was getting somewhere, and then all of a sudden they, they turn, took a left turn, and I, it's like I hadn't said anything that I had said to them. And, and, and the reality is they hadn't been communicating all along because of the language barrier, and it only came out later on. I'm just curious, while you're here in Australia, what's the main message you're bringing to our nation? Well, I've been asked to address a, a wide variety of things, actually. Um, I, I spoke on how Christians need to respond to an ever-increasingly uh, antagonistic culture in, in Western culture. So I'm going to be speaking on uh, how to understand Islam, and uh, there's, a, there's a wide variety of topics that I'm going to be speaking on. So the primary, for, for me anyways, the, the primary message is I, I want to edify the saints. I want to encourage them in their faith, to give them a solid foundation uh, to emphasize the Christian worldview and the fact that it's vitally important for each believer uh, to cultivate that Christian worldview, that it needs to be based upon a solid understanding of who Jesus Christ has been revealed to be in Scripture, um, that this is not something that's just simply a, an add-on to our faith, uh, but that if Jesus truly was who the Word of God says he was, then all of, all of humanity has to deal with the claims that, that he made. We are making an amazing uh, statement to the world uh, that the creator of this vast universe 
entered into his own creation. That's, a, that's an amazing thing to say. It, and in fact, from the world's perspective, it's absolute foolishness. The idea that the one who made this, this vast creation would actually live as a Jewish carpenter, that's, that's moronic. And that's the exact term that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, when he says the preaching or the message of the cross is to those who are perishing, uh, moria in Greek, which, from which we get the word moron. Uh, it's foolishness. It's, it's completely ridiculous. Um, but to those who are being saved, that very same same message is the power of God. And so I think there's a great temptation uh, for a lot of Christians today to, to try to sort of edit the gospel to make it acceptable to an ever more secular and hardened uh, culture and world. But we can't do that. The gospel is the power of God and the salvation. It's the only power that's been given uh, to the church to change hearts and minds. And so we have to continue to trust that uh, the Word of God and the Spirit of God will do what God intends those things to do. And we are called simply to be faithful in that proclamation, not to be uh, trying to come up with ways of making it look more wise to the world or, or things like that. So I, I suppose that's one of the central uh, elements of the message that I have uh, these days as we, as we look at the developments taking place in Western society, the moral and ethical revolutions taking place. Well, it's been inspiring to be able to hear uh, your heart to share the good news. And if people want to find out more, the website is aomin.org. That's Alpha and Omega Ministries, aomin.org. And they can find all the links and the details to James White and the many wonderful books and publications that you have uh, brought out over the years. James, I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to listen to this interview again, just go to historymakers.tv. There you'll find links to Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or check out our YouTube clips. And you can find out about History Makers TV. We are a faith-based ministry and we appreciate every donation. You know, the vision of History Makers is to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations of the world. If you'd like to partner with us, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless you. Have an awesome day. I'm Matt Prater. And why don't you go and make history? History Makers. History Makers is proudly sponsored by Bible League, who serve the local church and other partners around the world by providing Bibles, scripture materials and training to help people meet Jesus. They provide God's Word to a lost and needy world. Bible League plants Bibles in prisons, among persecuted Christians and in poor nations, bringing the love and light of Christ into many people's lives around the world. Make history today by joining our friends at Bible League and planting a Bible that will help someone meet Jesus. Go to bl.org.au. Station sponsor.